As you know, the series called Explain That. We're dealing with questions that are presented to us in, uh, in, about our faith. And today's question is, is this. <clears throat> Isn't it intolerant and disrespectful to say that Jesus is the only way to God? Here, about 2008, 2009, I forget the exact year, we were in arbitration in, uh, in for this for a building project we were trying to achieve. We had purchased a piece of land on 137th and 4th Plain and turned to be a tragic story, probably a dark spot on my garment as a leader, but nevertheless, we were in a, a lawsuit. And the lawsuit kind of came in this way, that uh, we had joined a partnership with a developer and it wasn't working, so he was gonna sell the land. We sued him, not for damages, but we sued him to stop him from from, from selling it. We weren't asking any extra money out of him. We just threw a lawsuit to stop him from doing that. And he countersued for $16 million uh, because that's what he thought his losses were uh, because we ended our joint venture agreement. And so it went all the way to a thing called arbitration where a court-appointed arbitrator listens to both sides and he makes a judgment who gets rewarded the land and, and the damages and so forth. We were, we were in a tough place. So our lawyer... His position, and the litigator that we had, his position was this. Pastor, did you believe that God gave you that land? I had to really think about it. and I said, yes, I do. Well, that's our case. God gave you the land, and you believe God gave it. That's all? That's all we're going to do. So my lawyer brought into the arbitration a manila envelope with one piece of paper. The opposer, I mean, the developer with his lawyer brought in carts of notebook files, just massive, you know those big, like, five-inch ringer ones, and just, I mean, they must have had enough books to fill the Library of Congress. And I had a little manila envelope with one piece of paper in it. And at the moment, I was really intimidated because if I got one little piece of paper, you got volumes on carts of all sorts of information against me. And so I was asked, Pastor, you believe God gave you that land? My answer in my conscience, yes. In a case. Sat down. We won the case. <laughs> now my point with this is that the answer to the question that's presented to us today isn't overly profound. It's, it's simple, but extremely deep if it's true. C.S. Lewis said this. He said that Christianity is, uh, is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. You know, the why the Christianity cannot be moderately important is like... Uh, People say today, you know, that's cool for you, but it's not cool for me. That's good for you, but it's not good for me. That's nice for you, but it's not nice for me. The reason why they, they, they can't say that is because of what Christianity says about Jesus. That's why that statement doesn't work. Paul Little, who's now with the Lord, was, well, used by the Lord in writing, and a great theologian back in the 60s, 70s, and uh, he wrote this, if Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, then we have the authoritative word of God himself on the subject. 
God signed off on this. If he is God and there's no other savior, then obviously he's the only way to God. Christians could not change this fact by a vote. How many people want to vote today, whether Jesus is God or not? We're going to vote. And the vote wins that he's not God. That doesn't take away the fact that he is God or by anything else. And the reason this is because Christianity is based on the statements of Jesus that he was God. And we're going to look at this. We're going to look at John chapter 14 today. Now, I'm going to give you the backdrop of John 14. I know we read sometimes the Gospels and our devotions, and you're reading John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. They sound so good. It's about the Holy Spirit and be, don't let your heart not be troubled. You've got to give the context of what's, what's going on. Jesus is about to get arrested. He's about to get falsely accused. He's about to get beaten, scourged. And be so pulverized, he's <clears throat> going to barely carry his own cross <clears throat> to Golgotha to die on a cross. This is all going to happen in the next 24 hours. So this discourse of Jesus giving these final instructions and trying to encourage their hearts, you have to understand it, it becomes a little bit deeper in the context of what's going to take place. And, and of course, Jesus also speaks metaphorically. In other words, he's not speaking directly. He's giving you word pictures to understand heavenly concepts. And he says, starts off, he says, not let, let not your hearts be troubled. Or, in other words, don't get intimidated by what's about to happen. Within a few hours of him saying this, they're going to see him get arrested. Within a few hours of saying this, they're going to watch him be falsely accused. Within a few hours, they're going to see him mauled and beaten. In a few hours, they're going to see him on a cross. Don't get intimidated by the situation. That's what he's talking about. Believe or trust in God. I want you to notice this. Believe, trust also in me. And then he says this, in my father's house, here's the metaphor. In my father's house, the, the Greek word is okia, which means more, not a house, but a domain. Or it's better put, in my father's kingdom are many rooms. Now, some of you who are familiar with the old King James Version have the word mansions in there. And it, it makes a wonderful song. I'm going to have a mansion just over the hilltop. Unfortunately, the, the Greek word that was used there, monet, was translated in the Vulgate Bible, man, mansiones, which got translated in the Tendo Bible, which one of the first English Bibles was taken from the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, and translated into mansions. And so we think, I got my mansion. I got my mansion just over the hilltop. So I laugh sometimes when people say, I want to go back to the hymns, as if the hymns are scripture. Sometimes we're singing some of the craziest theology in the world. <laughs> there are no mansions. The word mansion's not used in the original Greek. It could best, using a house analogy, be a flat or a room or an apartment. I have an apartment <laughs> just over the hillside. The idea here is that there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. 
And he says these words, he goes, and, and he goes, there are many rooms, and if we're not so, I, I would have, have told you. That's actually a, a Jewish oath he's giving. I am swearing to it. That I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go make this happen. There's room in my Father's kingdom by dying for you on the cross and being raised from the dead. He goes on to say, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Now, commentators have a different slants on what he's talking about. Is he talking about he's coming by the Holy Spirit? And John 14 is very clear. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. It's by the Spirit. Or is it about his second coming? I'll let you debate the theology, but I'm going to come to you. I'll come again and take you to myself and that where I am, you may be also. Now, we're going to be in heaven with him. That's a done deal. And he is going to come again and we're going to see him. But he's with us now. How many people know the, the scripture? He says, I will never leave you, or what? Come on, he's with us. He is the Lord who is present. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's present with us. I'm the Lord who dwells with you. He's with us. And then he goes on to say, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, of course, Thomas now is the realist. A lot of people give Thomas a real bad time. I want you to know in church history, Thomas was the most prolific church planner in all of first century history. Died a martyr in India. And it was an incredible, you go to places in Afghanistan today and northern India, those places where still find their root system to what Thomas planted. But Thomas is a realist. He's the one that says, let's go die with him. I mean, he's a realist. And so as a realist, he said, he said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. Now, the problem with this is that in all the things that Jesus said, they still, during his three and a half years ministry, they still didn't grasp that he was alluding to the fact that he was God. And he's going to bring it home here. They understood his works, but they didn't quite conceive that he was the reflection of God and was God himself. He goes, he goes listen, we don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the way that one is reconciled to God. I am the way of life. The early church is called followers of the way. It's not just he's our, he reconciles us to God. He represents us to God. He's the door by which we get to God through. But he, there's a way of life that we follow. I'm the way of life you follow. The early church was fo or followers of the way. And the truth, I am the embodiment of reality and the life. We would all agree that all life comes from him. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's rather exclusive, and we'll address that. Is that an exclusive statement? Very. But yet it's inclusive, as we will see. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So he's going to wake up because they've been dull with all the innuendos and statements. Three of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. He says, if you would have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You've seen my father. Now Philip pipes in. Philip's a pragmatist too. He said to Jesus, you know, how we, we got five loaves and two fish. What's this among so many people we got to feed? I mean, these guys are real practical. Sometimes being a pragmatist isn't what you need when to understand spiritual truth. Right. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Come on, show us. We're ready. It's like, what have I been doing? 
It's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Know me, Philip, and whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In other words, we're one and the same. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. That they believed. That they saw for three years. So you've seen the works. You got that down, but you missed the message. The message is that I and the Father are one. He goes on, truly, truly. Now where Jesus says truly, truly? You get the truly, truly's going. Old King Jimmy, the verily, verily's. Okay, it's heavy stuff. It means listen to this. I say to you, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and, I, and the greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, you can call upon, you can use my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now let's look at these statements. Believe in God, believe also in me. Next statement, I will come again and take you to myself after I die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't point you to the way. I am the way. I don't point you to truth. I am the truth. I don't point you to some life. I am life. I'm the source of life. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am the perfect reflection of God. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I am equal to him. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. I answer prayers too, just like God does. The Father may be glorified in the Son. Only God is glorified. Now what would you do if I made those statements to you? What would you do if I got up on Sunday morning and I said, you people believe in God? Believe in me too. I and my Father are one. I want to see God. How long have I been with you and you haven't, seen, you haven't seen me? Bob, you're getting weird. You're getting weird. It's like the story of a guy went into a mental ward where people had visions of grandeur. They thought they were famous people in history. And so he's taking a role and he did this every day. And the first person he calls off the role, George Washington, here. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, here. Napoleon, here, here. <laughs> Napoleon, here, here. Will the two Napoleons please stand up? Two guys stand up in their gowns. He says, why do you, why do you think you're Napoleon? I can't have two Napoleons. He says, because I, I talk like him, I act like him, I think like him, I'm Napoleon. He says, the other guy says, how come you think you're Napoleon? Because God made me Napoleon. And when he said that, another patient stood up and said, I did not. (laughs) That's what it's like if I made these statements to you. Now, why is the Jesus is the only way to God message offensive? Why is it offensive? Let's look at this. First is this. 
We don't believe in our culture in absolute truth. Some of this came from Eastern mysticism. Some of this came from what I talked with you last week, David Hume, the 18th century Scottish philosopher. If we haven't experienced it, it's not true. So that's led to a, a secular view that you really can't know truth. Some of it's come from a really a pluralistic culture that embraces all religions but takes none of them seriously. I want to say that again. A pluralistic culture that accepts all religions but takes none of them seriously. You know, tolerance in our culture does not mean, in our culture, does not mean being respectful of someone else's ideas. We absolutely believe in that tolerance. That's why we have the First Amendment of the United States of America. We are to be tolerant and respectful towards beliefs that we even disagree with. But that's not tolerance in our culture. Tolerance in our culture is not only must I, disagree, not only must I respect you, but I must give up my conscience to receive you. That's what we've done. Because we don't believe in absolute truth. And so no one, even though we might have different interpretations on that, we don't allow people to stand on that. Timothy Keller, who's an incredible communicator of the gospel and one of the great apologists of our time, he pastors in Manhattan, New York. He's got a very large church and he, he inter- integrates with that whole culture and answering questions and talking and reasoning with them with the gospel. He was in a, a forum with a rabbi and an imam from, from Islam and himself on Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. They were respectful to each other. They honored each other. They even had a relationship with each other. And a hard, huge crowd came there, and they were all excited to hear this debate. But what the crowd was very displeased with and very upset with is the imam, the rabbi, and Timothy Keller all believed that they were right and the other two guys were wrong. And the, and the conference didn't like that. They thought we were all going to come together and I have a piece of truth and you have a piece of truth and you have a piece of truth. In the name of tolerance, we give up our conviction about what we believe so that we can respect each other. They respected each other. They had dignity towards each other. They loved each other. But when they disagreed and the final word on absolute truth, the crowd couldn't handle it. So that's part of our problem, why the cross is offensive. Then we have, uh, we do not believe we can know what happens in the, in the afterlife. I mean, one, because we don't believe and understand the gospel, that's, that's one of the problems. Two, because of our ignorance, we're left to our own imagination. My mother-in-law's uh, funeral, one of Sue's aunts by marriage is a real new ager. And uh, it was said that my mother-in-law, what was she, a queen from a, from a fam- big nation in, in her past life. And, and uh, you know, so that was celebrated that she was a queen at one time and some past, uh, some past life, you know. I want to tell you what we do with reincarnation in the West and we're wonderful at this. We do the same thing with transcendental meditation. We pick the best parts of Eastern mysticism that fits us, and we ignore the other aspects. We think, oh, you got good karma. You really want to buy into the karma thing? Let me tell you about the karma thing. In other parts of the world where karma is taken seriously, you are not allowed to show compassion to suffering. 
Because if you do, you cause them to suffer more in the next life. And so karma is not such a cool thing. I won't feed you because if I do, I'm going to wreck it for you in the next life because you're going through bad karma because of what you did in your previous life. And so compassion is shut out. The third reason why we get offensive towards absolute truth because we believe the, the message is exclusive of other people. You know, it's interesting that you could probably bring up any philosopher at a party, any, any, any even leader of religion. You can say, I read an article the other day about Muhammad. Or you know what, I, I was just reading a guy that was talking about the, the, the seven laws of Buddha and how they can apply to his business. And, and people would be very interested in talking about that. Let's just say this. I read an article the other day about Jesus, and all of a sudden, people's body language begins to squirm, and they start backing out, and you can see their face change, and they can feel them being uncomfortable. It's really interesting. Here, a number of years ago, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler in our church asked me to open up prayer at a, at a town hall meeting at Scamania, meeting at Scamania, but Skyview High School. Dan was there. He'll remember that. That was a fun night, wasn't it, Dan? And uh, so I thought I prayed a really good prayer. I prayed that we'd listen to each other and how much God loved all the people there. But the one thing I did at the end, as I said, and we prayed these things in the name of Jesus. Boy, did that ever get me in trouble. And I probably set the stage for a horrible night for Jamie. Because they were more mad at me than they were her. And they were lined up to talk with me. How could you say that? How could you pray that? You excluded others. I prayed for everybody. Everybody was included to get blessed. You know? God loved everybody, you know. But name of you, I got written up in the Colombian. I had a person threatening to come get me here at this church because I just said, in the name of Jesus. Well, you didn't have to say that. But that's who I am. I said to one person, that's who I am. That's my faith. I was asked to pray and I prayed my faith. I don't know what you expect. But somehow the name of Jesus becomes very, very offensive. And one of the strong reasons is because it seems to people it's exclusive of other people. And here's the issue. If Christianity is true, then that does mean that other religions are wrong. Because of our modern embracing of all we cannot say that someone or something is wrong. It's too difficult for us. But Christianity is not exclusive. We have a board over there that has all the nations and a map on the board because we believe that Christ died for all. We believe that God so loved the world. That would mean every ethnic group, every nation, every people group, regardless of their current status, their current view of God, or wherever they're at, God loves them. Amen. We believe our life is to be committed to a message of God offering a relationship with them. So in essence, the answer is exclusive, but the, 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 the membership is absolutely inclusive. For all who are thirsty, the book of Revelation says, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Now, three approaches to resolve this, bring this home. First is this. 
Christianity, one way to say Christianity is not narrow. In other words, sincerity is enough. There are many paths to God, and uh, so it, just as long as you're sincere, that, that could be the answer. That's what Jesus preached. Well, the problem is that I can be sincere, but I can be sincerely wrong. The problem is also that Jesus didn't give us the option to just be sincere because he claimed he was God. Back to that envelope and that arbitration, I had one defense. There's one defense of this is that he did not claim himself to be a guru, did not claim himself to be some wise master. He claimed himself to be God. Jesus can't be synergized with other human philosophies and religions. He stands apart. He's not on an equal plane with them. You remember my, my conversation with Sue. Sue had a difficult issue when we were dating and falling in love and talking about spending the rest of our life together as I became a follower of Jesus. And so this became an issue between she and I. And uh, we went to Ivers in, in Seattle. We were down by the ferries and eating clam chowder soup and fish and chips. And I said, Sue... Do you believe in Jesus Christ? She goes, yes, I do. Do you believe he's your savior? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Muslims apart from him have salvation? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Hindus do? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Buddhists do? Yes, I do. Then you really don't believe that he's the savior. I left her with that. But it challenged even the core of what she thought she believed. Jesus won't put himself on the same plane as other philosophies. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He didn't say sincerity is enough. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The second is Christianity is narrow and wrong. That's the other way we can approach it. There are millions of worshipers who worship another God. They can't all be wrong. We say truth is subjective. What is right for you is not right for me and vice versa. What is wrong for you is not wrong for me. And we do believe in the exercise of free conscience, and we all do disagree on issues. But the issue is, ultimately, there is absolute truth, and what do we base our conscience on? You know, the followers of Jim Jones saw him as the Savior, and 912 of them committed mass suicide in 1978. Their truth really did not work real well for them. The Heaven's Gate cult in 1997 put purple shrouded garments on, put Nike shoes on, and committed mass suicide with the hope that they'd be raised from the dead by the aliens who came from the common Haley Bop. But they're still dead. The third is this, that Christianity is narrow and right. This is where the famous quote from C.S. Lewis comes in. It says, I'm, not, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about Jesus Christ, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we can't say about him. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be a devil from hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come along with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. That's probably the most in-your-face quote in the history of the church. He can't be anything but a fake, a lunatic, or the real thing. He can't be anything in the middle. You can't synergize, synergize him with anybody else because of his supremacy. The supremacy of Christ. He stands apart. Listen to this out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, the Old Testament. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed, notice this, heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, he, is, the, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the reflection of God himself. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power presently. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited more, is more excellent than theirs. In other words, God spoke through the prophets. He now speaks to us through Jesus he inherited all things because of his obedience to the cross. He is the exact reflection of God's glory. He, he did not offer us a pilgrimage, some secret message, some little thing that we could do. He purified us by his own work on the cross and we're accepted by God. Come on. He is superior to all other mediating agents. Why do we know this? Because of his life, because of his testimony, because of his love, because of his works, because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection, because of his ascension, and the fact that he's rat radically devastated the world ever since. And there's a superiority of the gospel. Denise de Souza said this. Religion in general is man's strategic manual for how to reach God. Christianity is not a religion in this sense. Christianity holds that man, no matter how hard he tries, cannot reach God. Man cannot ascend to God's level because God's level is too high. Therefore, there is only one remedy. God must come down to man's level. Christianity is the only religion in the world where we don't come to God, but he comes to us. It's the only religion in the world where we can approach God because of what someone else did. It's the only religion in the world that gives us assurance because of what someone else did. It's the only religion in the world where I can come and know God personally in my own sanctuary, wherever that might be. Whether it's here at City Harvest Church or in a cave in China, under an acacia tree in Kenya, I can come to God by faith or in a bar where I'm at the end of myself or some hotel room where I got a gun there ready to put a gun to my head into my life, I can still come to God. It's the only religion in the world where we rest in the work of another. Come to me, Jesus said, you who labor and are heavy laden, 
with religious rules and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's stand to our feet.